you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky here uh, on our home cams here. We've got uh, we've got challenges, Buck, but we're overcoming these challenges to keep the pot alive. How you doing, bud? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot different uh, doing it at home as opposed to doing it in the confines of the podcast studio. I got a lot of distractions here. I got the dog running around. Uh, <laughs> upstairs. It, it's different for sure. Manage, managing a lot of personnel, managing a lot of personnel. Yeah, you got you to get everybody in line over there, man. That's, that's, uh, it's like you're, you're uh, the, the general of an army over there. You got to keep everybody lined up and ready to go and, and at a minute's notice here. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today uh, because we are going to go through the teams with uh, multiple first-round picks uh, that acquired – a couple teams that acquired picks, I should say, because we, uh, we have San Francisco who picked up a first-rounder, Minnesota picked up a first-rounder, Houston picked up a second-rounder. So we're going to focus on those three teams, uh, what they might possibly do with those picks. Um, and then we've got some, some other interesting topics today, Buck, including a conversation that you had uh, with one of the general managers in the NFL this past weekend. Yeah, just so much stuff going on that over the weekend you have an opportunity to talk to some people. But you've talked about it, DJ. We're now at the point with the month a little more than a month away. I mean, the draft being a little more than a month away. We can begin to start talking about some of the strategies that some of these teams may take based on what they're doing with free agents, the trades they've got, and the number of picks that they have based on the amount of needs that they also have. Yeah, so it's going to be fun going through that. Um talk about uh, some landing spots for the quarterbacks. I have an article up on NFL.com, the seven top quarterbacks in the draft after free agency. What does that look like? The uh, most likely landing spots for those seven quarterbacks. So we'll hit that um, as well as a, a good cluster conversation of some some ties I'm trying to sort out on, uh, on my draft board as we go along here. Um, but Buck, first up here, let's jump into these teams that have acquired picks here during this uh, free agency period. And I say let's start with the San Francisco 49ers, a team that picked up the 13th overall pick. And it was costly because they ended up uh, trading DeForest Buckner, one of the best defensive players in the National Football League. But they get pick 13. They also have their own pick at 31. Um, they don't have picks in rounds two and three, I believe even into four. So they, they need uh, to take one of these picks, I would imagine, and trade back, get some more capital. Just kind of depends on how they play it. Um, you know, I, I know we'll look and say that they don't have a number of picks, particularly in the second, third, and fourth rounds. Um, but you just kind of wonder what player is going to be available when they pick at the end of the first round. And if that player is worth them trading to maybe get two picks, whether it's a second and a third, a second and a fourth, um, just to get more bodies, more capable uh, people on that roster. I think what's interesting, though, is to put themselves in a position to get in the middle of the first round where they really can attack uh, whatever area they want to work on. Um, I feel like uh, selfishly, like defensive line-wise, they were stocked and loaded. And so they had the luxury of being able to dispatch of a first-round pick in the Forrest Buckner, get another first-round pick back. And then when you look at their line, 
losing him is like it's still a big loss because he's a big time player. But man, you have Eric Armstead, you have Nick Bosa, you have D Ford, um, you have a bunch of other players that are jumping in the rotation, thriving. Um, I think this is the case where what they've done is they've done a really good job of kind of fortifying the strength of their roster. And now they're at a point where they could auction off um, a talented player to get back what they needed on draft day. Yeah, and I look at a couple different areas. I know they still have tremendous depth on that defensive line, but at 13, I think there's at least a chance a guy like Javon Kenlaw were to get there. If he does get there, to me, you turn in the card, uh, you make the pick. If they want to add more firepower with that pick and maybe choose pick 31 to trade back and get some extra capital, um, you could be looking at somebody like Henry Ruggs uh, to put into that offense there with Kyle Shanahan. And, And how fun would that be to see Henry Ruggs uh, with Debo Samuel and that young core kind of grow together. Uh, that would be some options for him there at 13. I would also say if they wanted to trade back at the 13th pick, you could go back a little bit and still get a, a Ross Blacklock, a defensive tackle who's very explosive, would fit in great with that group. Uh, that could be one of those trade back scenarios. And then if they decide to stick and pick at 31, I, I look at that corner position, um, getting younger, getting more athletic, getting faster there. Uh, a guy like A.J. Terrell from Clemson who has that length that they love in that Robert Sala scheme that they run, that to me uh, would be a good option for them there if they wanted to go corner there at 31. Uh, DJ, it's interesting you talk about A.J. Terrell, and we'll talk more about him and some other guys because it really comes down to doing an evaluation of the cluster busters, meaning the clusters that will be available at 13 and the clusters that will be available at 31. As you look at what could be available at 13, you're just kind of weigh the pros and cons of, will we rather have one of these players that's in here um, are we more likely to get one of these players to maybe drop back to 18, 19, 20, where we could fall back and still get uh, one or two of the guys that we like, they'll be available? Or should we think about, all right, the cluster that is here at 31, how many of these guys potentially could fall into the second round and still be available? Is it better for us to trade out of this, um, get into the second round, and we still will get a comparable player? Um, a lot of what we talk about are weighing the pros and cons and the value of certain positions at certain stages of the draft. I think this is a conversation that they have to have uh in the war room in San Francisco, a where's the value, where's the depth, where do we break down the tiers, which tiers will be available when we may potentially think about moving back into the second round, et cetera. All of those conversations will ultimately determine uh, what they do on draft day. No doubt. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings, a team that traded Stephon Diggs. I thought they got a nice return, especially when you look at the uh, DeAndre Hopkins return that Houston was able to get. Uh, that tremendous job there uh, by Rick Spielman, what he was able to fetch for Stephon Diggs. They now hold picks 22 and 25, so very close to one another. And with a, a wide receiver need that is out there now, I think you'll see one of these picks go to the wide receiver position. Still like to add a corner if you could. And then I would say interior offensive line, three areas uh, I could see them focus. And Buck, let me give you the home run pick for the Minnesota Vikings. To me, in my opinion, Justin Jefferson from LSU you're replacing a phenomenal route runner with another outstanding route runner, somebody who catches everything, who's going to be able to get on the same page with Kirk Cousins very early. I think he is the perfect fit. And I think, you know, when you look at where their position 
uh, at pick 22, at 22 and 25. Maybe you have to look at the board and say Philadelphia, a wide receiver team picking 21. Um, maybe you try and leapfrog there and, and get to 20 with Jacksonville, who has been collecting a lot of picks. That could be in play there just to move up a little bit uh, to make sure you get a guy like Justin Jefferson. You know, I, I love the Jefferson Jefferson uh, pick, and here's why. Like, one of the guys that I trust in the business a lot, Jerry Sullivan, one of the best wide receiver coaches that uh, I've ever seen at work, one of the best ones to coach in the league. He swears by Justin Jefferson. He spent some time at LSU a couple seasons ago, worked with him, taught him, and he said, even with Jamar Chase in that room, that Justin Jefferson is the guy. Justin Jefferson was the alpha. Justin Jefferson has the versatility to play in the slot. He can play outside. He can learn every position that you want him to learn, but he also has the skills to thrive in each of those different positions. He said without question, he believes that Justin Jefferson will be a fantastic player in the league. And when I think about the Minnesota Vikings and what they want to do with this offense, uh, Adam Thielen is a route runner. Justin Jefferson is also a route runner. And so having the opportunity to replace Stefan Diggs with another guy that is mature, who is very, very technically sound, and who is also a polished playmaker, I think that would be a no-brainer move if he's available uh, near where the Minnesota Vikings pick. And we look at that uh, pick 25. If they were to go receiver at 22, at 25, I don't really see an interior offensive lineman there. That could be another opportunity for a team like this to trade back from 25, get some more picks, uh, maybe get yourself in that second-round range for a guy like a Cesar Ruiz or, or Lloyd, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU, uh, one of those types of players, which would be plug-and-play in this offensive line. But I mentioned corner, and let me give you some names here around where they're picking, 22 and 25. You're going to be looking. I think C.J. Henderson's gone from, uh, from Florida. Uh, obviously, Jeff Okuda is going to be long gone. But you're looking at the Jalen Johnsons, the A.J. Terrells, uh, maybe a Christian Fulton. That, that, those are the guys that are kind of in the mix there at 25. Yeah, and so then I, I think what you have to do is you got to determine uh, what's the style of play? How do we want to play? Remember, and I think this is an important fact, Jerry Gray is no longer uh, coaching in the secondary for the Minnesota Vikings. He was a great teacher and developer. Um, did a really good job of kind of supporting and uh, supplementing what Mike Zimmer did. Mike Zimmer's running the entire show now. Uh, you have Adam Zimmer and Andre Patterson splitting the defensive coordinator duties. So I do wonder if there are going to be some stylistic changes in the way that they play. And so if that changes, that may also change the type of corner that they look for because this is a unique opportunity for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they don't have Xavier Rose. Uh, Trey Wayne says, I think, I think he signed with the Cincinnati Bengals. So you're talking about a brand new uh, secondary at the corner position. They have Mike Hughes who returns um, from an injury coming back from UCF, but they need to find another guy that can plug and play. And so of those three that you mentioned, uh, Jalen Johnson, AJ Terrell, Christian Fulton, it just, to me, it's tough because it comes down to toughness because I just don't know. Christian Fulton, I, I, I wonder if he can hold up under the barrage of throws that happen in that division. Not only the talented wide receivers, but just how quarterbacks relentlessly go after you on the outside. Jalen Johnson has a, a level of toughness that I like um, mentally. Um, he was playing with a torn labrum, so some of the tackling stuff you would like to think would improve. And then A.J. Terrell, to me, I think what hurts him is the lasting image of the national championship game when we saw LSU go at him relentlessly, but I will say this when you go back and watch his tape 
he's a pretty clean prospect. I mean, he can hit, he can run, he can cover, he can press, he can play off, he jumps in the slot. He does a lot of interesting things. Uh, I would say that he may be the most underrated of those guys. I think in a normal year, we really would talk about him a lot higher in terms of how he should be valued. Yeah, no doubt. I, I wouldn't rule out a guy like A.J. Terrell uh, with a team like the, the Raiders there picking at 19 would be an interesting spot for them. So we'll see if he even gets to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, all right, Houston. Now we're outside the first round, Buck. They don't have a first round pick. Uh, that was one of the, the, the means they used to acquire Laramie Tunsil, uh, who they still have to work out a contract with, by the way. That was not handled properly. But when you look at Houston right now, they trade DeAndre Hopkins. They have now picks 40 and 57. So two picks here in the second round. They're going to get a chance to get two really good football players in, in a really deep draft. Uh, wide receiver need comes to the forefront. Obviously, you just traded Hopkins. I would still say trying to find some more edge rush as well would be high priorities. And when you look at you know second round wide receivers, edge, rush, edge rushers, um, you're to me, you're looking at maybe it's a Brandon Ayuk. Uh, T. Higgins, I think, is a chance to be there at, at pick number 40. That'll be a close call. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, who's really taken on some water, unfortunately, in the offseason, um, you know, was not healthy at the combine, did not run well, had that core muscle surgery, but I think his stock has really fallen. Uh, he'll be there in this second round range. Denzel Mims from Baylor. I mean, we've got, uh, uh, you also have Michael Pittman from USC. You've got Jalen Rager from TCU. I mean, I, I do think there are a lot of good second-round receiver options um, to look at. And then from the edge rusher position, not, not quite as uh, encouraging there. Uh, I look at a guy, you know, I'm a big fan of Marlon Davidson. To me, that would be the one maybe at pick 40. Uh, if he were to get there, somebody who has that versatility outside-inside uh, would be an interesting name there. Yeah, I think it is interesting because they're also a team in transition. Um, uh, Anthony Weaver takes over as their defense coordinator. Romeo Cornell is no longer calling the defense. So stylistically, they should also change. But you talked about it. This is a team that has suddenly gotten old on the defensive side of the ball, particularly on the defensive line at edges. J.J. Watt is older. Uh, Winnie Merciless is also an older player. They need to find some young energy off the edge. I think when you really look at this draft, um, if we could do it in a perfect world, I think what you have to do is Go get your pass rusher at 40, find your wide receiver at 57. The best pass rushers that are available at 40, I would really try and make a move to make sure that I secure that because I think there's a, a significant drop-off once you get past the first handful of dudes. And so if I'm them, I want to make sure that I get a sack artist, someone that can come down and make plays. Uh, I know they're a team that is a 3-4 team. I think, look, 40 is rich. But I think Bradley Anai could be in that conversation either at 40 or 57 because when I watch him play, he fits how they want to play off the edge. His toughness, his athleticism, his ability to get to the quarterback would certainly help them um, because I really think that's a weak spot for them. Yeah, one more name I'll throw into the mix here as we finish this discussion up. Daryl Taylor. Uh, from Tennessee, who was hurt. Unfortunately, didn't get to see him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, uh, yeah. Was not healthy at all this year, but you go back to 2018 tape, uh, you see a different player. So when we have a really uh, a lack of talented edge rushers in this draft class, he's got juice, he's got big-time talent. Is not clean, not a clean prospect based off the last year, Buck, uh, but somebody I think you're going to see kind of rise up the process here as people are trying to try and develop and find some of these names. Uh, he's going to get pushed up the board. 
yeah, he is going to get pushed up the board because this is tough, man, because you're, you're speculating um, on who's available. And there's certain guys who have production, but you don't necessarily like how they look physically. Um, I think Curtis Weaver um, from Boise State falls into that category. You don't like the packaging, but you like the production. And so you just kind of wonder where does he fit? Is he a guy second, third round? Can can they find him in those stages? So it, it's one of those things where you're going to have to swing. You're going to have to take some big swings to try and find some pass rushers because outside the after the first couple guys go, significant drop off in terms of the value and the talent. Well, I want to have a discussion now about some of these uh, little clusters. And really, this is just two players. And I, I've done this during this time of year. I kind of print out my top 50 list. And I, I end up trying to now I'm going to stack my positions going beyond the top 50 and eventually lead to putting together you know a top 100 list. Uh, I'll have my top 200 players kind of ranked personally, and I'll post the top 100. Um, but the different things to sort out, I talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago. I have went on a Justin Herbert, Jordan Love quest. Um, to kind of sort those two players out. That was one cluster. Um, I felt good about that. I had a Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins um, cluster. I uh, went through that. I ended up with Jonathan Taylor over Dobbins. Very close, um, but I ended up uh, pushing him above. Then you get some of these other positions, Buck. Um, receiver, I feel pretty comfortable where I am with that top-tier group. Tight ends, I feel comfortable. Offensive tackles, my top four um, – Probably not going to change. Feel really good about that order for personally with Becton, Wills, Wirfs, Thomas. But the f- next cluster for me that I'm trying to sort out, Austin Jackson versus Josh Jones. Austin Jackson from SC, Josh Jones from Houston. So that's one I'm trying to sort out. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, it's a really good one. And um, prior to the combine, I had Josh Jones over Austin Jackson. Uh, part of that came from, look, man, Joshua Jones is so solid. Uh, the last part of the week at the Senior Bowl, I was very, very impressed with how he went about his business. And then I, I, I looked at Austin Jackson again. I'm looking at the tape, and then I had a conversation with him about the bone marrow surgery and how he had this surgery in July and how he said he never quite felt like himself. And so I'm looking at what the tape shows, and then I'm thinking, man, if he is like just coming out of that and that's what he looks like when he's not fully returned to form, what will he be at the next level when he gets an opportunity to be fully back and fully right? And so I'm kind of grading him a little bit on a curve, but the talent is there. And I think he is a very natural left tackle who also has the ability to really get it done in the run game. When I look at uh, Houston and Joshua Jones, they didn't really like mash and smash. They're, you know, a lot of a lot of pass pro opportunities, but uh, because I feel like Austin Jackson is a little more balanced uh, when it comes to being able to be a solid run blocker, I put him over top of Joshua Jones the last time I did my top five. Yeah, it's it's a good discussion. I think it's one that's going on in a lot of draft rooms around the league too, um, trying to see what you value. And with Austin Jackson, did not play well against Iowa. Um, you know, had a couple plays against, against Utah. Um, even early in the year against Fresno State had some issues but I see the athleticism jumps out he's more athletic than Josh Jones that showed up in the testing um, there's he's 20 years old so you know there's room for growth you factor in the the bone marrow uh, procedure there to help his sister so to me it's a it's you can see where the trend line is you can see Austin Jackson you know, going past him. And I have him currently over Josh Jones. Josh Jones, though, if if you're just going to say, let's grade how they played on the tape this year, Josh Jones was a steadier, 
steadier player. So it's a little bit it takes a little bit of faith um, to put Austin Jackson above him. But that's the debate. That's the debate that's taking place. Yeah, that is the debate. And what you're trying to do, and we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, when you're evaluating players, you're not just evaluating the final season. Uh, you're really trying to take everything into consideration, the entire body of work, how they develop from freshman, sophomore to junior season, um, what issues that are known issues when it comes to the medical history and how that impacted how they performed. And some of it is really a, a leap of faith in terms of how you think this player is going to project. For whatever reason, I just believe that that surgery took a lot out of Jackson early in the year. And it took him a while to get back to form. And I felt like um, by the end of the season, we were beginning to see that. Even though A.J. Epinesa uh, worked him a little bit in the bowl game, A.J. Epinesa is a first-round pick, so it happens. No doubt. I'm going to give you my three defensive uh, battles that I'm trying to sort out here over the next coming weeks. And I want you to tell me which one you think is the most difficult to sort. So I'm going to give you the three. You tell me which one's the most difficult to sort and why. So I have... Uh, trying to sort Kalevon Chason versus Yatur Gross Matos at the edge rusher position. I have Patrick Queen versus Kenneth Murray, two guys I really, really like. And Kenneth Murray is making a strong push uh, right now with everything that I've continued to study on him. So those two. And then uh, guys we've talked about today, Jalen Johnson versus A.J. Terrell. So of those three battles there, Buck, uh, which one is the most difficult to figure out and why? Oh, I think the edge rusher battle. Uh, Kalevon Chason and your two gross models, that's a difficult one. And it's a difficult one because, man, Kalevon Chasen is super athletic. Um, when I look at my notes and my report on him, the first thing that I talk about is speed, 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 urgent athlete, explosive, dynamic, all of those things. And you see the flashes where he flashes the potential athletically to completely take over the game. However... I don't have significant production to kind of validate that opinion. Um, I'm able to say, like, hey, if he gets with coaching, if he does this, if he does that, or whatever. The flashes stand out. Yatua Gross Matos, to me, isn't as flashy, but he's a steady and consistent producer off the line. Um, When I looked at him, he reminded me a lot of Jason Pierre-Paul coming out of South Florida. Um, He's long. Uh, he has some athleticism. We see him use his hands. Uh, he has the ability to kind of come inside on some of the loops and games. Uh, I just think he's a very, very solid player who's been consistently productive. And so I would say it's kind of like the debate that you have with Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. Uh, Chasen has the higher ceiling. Uh, Gross Matos probably has the higher floor. Which one do you want to roll the dice on to bring to your team? No, that's a great point. And, you know, the interesting thing is with the quarterback position, man, I, I and, and everybody's different. Every evaluator is different. Quarterback, maybe I tend to lean a little more conservative, whereas pass rushers maybe factoring in traits a little bit more and saying, okay, this guy has the stuff you can really develop and grow with. Maybe being a little more adventuresome there uh, at the edge rusher position as opposed to the quarterback spot. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's tough because, like, it's – Six on one hand, half a dozen on the other when it comes to projecting those athletic guys. Like uh, a couple years ago, we had similar conversations where we had to deal with Leonard Floyd. You know, you saw the athleticism, you saw the trace or whatever. But in Chicago, it never necessarily consistently popped. Uh, doesn't mean that it won't pop for him, but but you wonder. With 
Yeah, with Kalevon chasing, I see the trace. I see the athleticism. I uh, had a conversation with him about kind of learning it as it goes. And you like the kid. It's just, will he be able to add enough tools to the toolbox that when they start hitting the fastball, that he has something else that he can win with? Does he have a changeup? Does he have a curveball? Uh, what does he have? So a lot of that is on the kid and also on the coach. And so that's why we talk about it. You have to scout your room. You have to know who you have as that D-line edge rusher coach and what is his track record for getting guys to play above what they displayed in college. Yeah, I think Daniil Hunter is kind of the example of a guy who didn't have that production who you bet on with the traits and then it hit. But then, as you mentioned, Buck, there's a long list of guys who did not have production and you're hoping that's going to come at the next level and it just never happened. So um, I think it, again, comes down to getting to know the kid as best as you can as well as knowing what you have in your in your, in your your coaching room there uh, to be able to pull it out of these guys and, and get them better and develop them. Uh, I, w- I want to get to this conversation that you had uh, with Thomas Dimitrov over the weekend in regards to the Atlanta Falcons, Buck, because I thought it was quite fascinating. Look, man, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, but, but let me preface it first. So when I was with the Green Bay Packers, I uh, had a conversation uh, with Ron Wolf a long time ago. Ron Wolf will tell you, Hall of Fame executive Ron Wolf will tell you that he credits a lot of what he learned from a team building and evaluation standpoint to the late Al Davis. So having an opportunity to play in Oakland, I saw firsthand how Al Davis treated former first-round picks. And there's a theory that says if you are a team – it is always smart to whenever a first-round pick is released to at least bring him through the building and kick the tires on him. And the reason why you want to do that is typically the guys that earn first-round grades are typically consensus first-round talents, meaning that we as a scouting community saw those guys as kind of the best of the best from a talent perspective. Now, however they performed, sometimes that could be on them but sometimes it could be on the environment, could be on the coaching staff and the like. So Ron always said, bring those guys in and see if a change of scenery will bring that talent to the surface. When I look at the Atlanta Falcons and the fact that the Atlanta Falcons potentially could have an offense with 11 first rounders in the starting rotation. I just think that is fantastic. I'm looking at it now. At wide receiver, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Tied in, Hayden Hurst. Center, Alex Mack. Left tackle, Jake Matthews. Left guard, Chris Carpenter. Right guard, Chris Lindstrom. Caleb McGeary at right tackle. Quarterback, Matt Ryan. Todd Gurley. They just signed uh, Laquan Treadwell, who also could get into that mix. And so some of us believe that this is a, a talent deal, meaning it is a thing where Uh, You have to have the most talent to win games. There's no denying that Atlanta Falcons have a tremendous amount of talent. No doubt. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think about it even from a standpoint of the draft. And you get to the later portions of the draft. I I think there's a lot of teams pay attention to who are these kids that were five-star kids coming out of high school that had some pedigree. And for whatever reason, their college career never got untracked. Um, you know, I know obviously he didn't fall that far in the draft, but Stefan Diggs is a, is a great example in the past of somebody really great, big time, high recruit coming out of, of high school and injuries kind of derailed him there at Maryland. But you mentioned Willie, Willie Gray Jr. there, big time five star athlete at Mississippi State. I was just talking to a team the other day about him uh, because the guy doesn't start a game this year, had some suspensions. It was academic related. Teams have cleaned him up a little bit from a character standpoint. 
But man, Buck, the flashes, I mean, he's got first-round ability, and it's just a matter of where do you take him in the draft, but that's part of that pedigree you had coming into college as well. So it's funny, DJ, you and I had similar conversations because I had a team uh, talk to me, and I had a coach who interviewed him at the combine and was like, hey, dude, um, he's a five-star player, and when you watch him play, he's athletic, he's fast, he moves around and makes plays. He said, I don't know if he can get people lined up but, man, he certainly can play. And if you got the right support system around him where you can just free him up to run around and play off his instincts, he certainly can make plays. And the guy told me, man, day two, when you're looking for guys that can not only play but they can do some special team stuff, he is going to be in that conversation. And that was something that I don't know many of us, if we talked about that coming into the combine. Yeah, no, it was somebody I had watched, and I thought, man, I saw these flashes. I saw a pick six against Kentucky. I was like, this guy is explosive. But then you read through the background stuff without knowing anything about the kid, and you see all these suspensions, the fact he hasn't started a game. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to – I don't know if that's the roller coaster I want to hop on. I don't know all the information. And then as you're starting to learn more of the information, you're going, okay, well, this, these sins are forgivable, uh, and this is a tremendous athlete. Yeah, I mean, explosive, dynamic athlete. And in some of these situations, you are looking at your coaching staff and trying to figure out which guys are developmental guys, which guys will have an opportunity to get better. If I'm going to take a chance on someone getting better, I would rather have a a, a ball of clay that has a lot of talent in it as opposed to trying to build one up from scratch. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, All right, Buck, we've had a bunch of listener questions on Apple Podcasts. Again, if you have questions for us, uh, just go to Apple Podcasts. Hold on, hold on, hold on, DJ, because this is... Go ahead, Buck. What we got? Oh, no, 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 because this this has been on the rundown for like the last five shows. So let's let's talk about this quickly about Oregon and the Pro Day and Justin Herbert and that stuff. Let's just talk about like whatever it is that we saw, like how you view... I know we talked about the cluster buster between him and I feel like it was so long ago, Buck. So it, 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 it was, but I'm I'm sitting here. I'm looking at it like uh, at, at least talk about it so I can I can I can move past it and get it off my screen. I, I think Nabil I think Nabil is hell bent that he cannot we cannot move on with the podcast unless we discuss what happened at Oregon's pro day nine months ago. So let's get let's make let's make him happy and and, let, and let's knock it out. You know it's it's funny because like he had the chance to have a stage all to himself because we didn't see many pro days I think the thing with Justin Herbert like where we are now is I feel like his grade is almost in concrete right like we've seen him uh he's a four-year player uh he played in the senior bowl he did his thing at the senior bowl where he was MVP he threw the ball really well at the combine uh the one thing that I'm gonna say about him and this kind of goes to some old school scouts who kind of lean on the Bill Parcells rule of quarterbacks He falls in line with that rule. And so that rule simply states that you need to be a three-year starter, a college graduate. Uh, He would like to see you have a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio. Herbert does that. Um, He would like to see 23 wins during that time. He has more than that. Um, We saw him play in a big-time bowl game. Uh, he, He has all of the traits that you look for. And so there are only two guys that kind of fit the criteria. It's Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. What's interesting about the Herbert conversation, I feel like he is where he is. I feel like in talking to people, Jalen Hurts is the one that is kind of climbing. And he's climbing because I think more people are getting comfortable with the kid. And then they look back and they say, hey, he's won a lot of games. He was 
a driving force for Alabama as a freshman where he broke off a 50-yard run or a 35-yard run that would have been the game winner if not for the magic that Deshaun Watson displayed. That would have changed the narrative surrounding Jalen Hurts. He also sucked it up when Tua Tungavaloa won the job. He stayed. He had an opportunity in the SEC championship game to get in and make plays. He made plays. He goes to Oklahoma, kind of remade his game, played at a different level, was a thrower more so than a runner, and simultaneously the National Football League was shifting. And so Jalen Hurts is a very, very interesting prospect for very creative uh, coaching staffs and scouting departments. Yeah, and I, I've mentioned him in, a, in an article I have up now on um, on NFL.com. We're going to do a video about this, you know, the, the likely landing spots for the seven top quarterbacks in the draft. And he is – Buck, look, I've, I've told you he's kept me up at night because I just have this sensation that I'm too low on Jalen Hurts. And he's going to find his way more than likely into my top 50 because I just want to have a good night's sleep. I want to stop worrying about having these nightmares of Jalen Hurts, you know, tearing up the league. And here uh, I'm a bozo and didn't have him in my top 50. So um, he is the competitiveness, the toughness, the playmaking ability, all that stuff is real. Uh, The arm strength to make every throw, um, the intelligence, the work ethic, it's all there. It's just a matter of can you throw with anticipation and timing some things that uh, that he needs to continue to work on and develop. Um, But I'm with you. I think he is somebody that's going to really gain steam as we come through this last round of draft meetings all right can we do uh can we do listener questions now can we yes jump in and, uh, yes we can go some of these we can do it. questions we can do out it. all right all right let's go here i'll start you off here we'll go every other one uh again go to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating review drop a question there we'll answer it on the podcast uh what's your opinion on trading away known commodities who are already performing well in the league for unknown commodities in the draft and i already know bucky brooks answered this question Oh, man, you know I'm always going to go players over picks. Uh, I kind of like to know what I'm doing, and some of that comes from Warren Buffett. I know right now it's not a great time to talk about the stock market, but Warren Buffett always talks about cast your lot on brand names. Well, the brand names in the league are the ones that play and play at a high level. So I'm a little more apt to kind of lean on players that I've seen play and play at a high level in the National Football League, more so than kind of the unknown players that are coming into the league. However, I'll put – a little asterisk bite in this. I will lean on those players provided that the price tag isn't exorbitant, meaning that it's not going to wreck the salary cap structure of the team building process. If it can be worked within how we're building the team, cool, I'm all about doing it. But if it can't, then I'm going to have to go and kind of tap into the unknown commodities because Hopefully, I'm on a, a, a team, a scouting staff that does a great job of evaluating players, and we'll find a replacement. It may not be uh, like value, but we'll get someone that can play and play really well. But I'm still going to lean towards players over picks. There's a line uh, in baseball where I've heard over this last couple off seasons: prospects are nice, parades are nicer. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good way of saying it, you know. <laughs> It's like to have the picks, but you know, players players help uh, get your parades. All right, uh, what you got one for me? Give me the next question here. Could you got? Can we discuss the ways that Jets general manager Joe Douglas could get creative this offseason to help out Sam Darnold? Well, you've seen it. They've signed five offensive linemen in free agency, and that was the number one issue for this team was getting better up front. Now, 
they didn't have a, a ton of money to spend after the money that was spent in last year's offseason. So uh, they had to kind of spread their money out, and they had a lot of needs on this roster. So you're not going to see the big-name, big-ticket item in free agency, but you get guys um, on the interior and on the edges, a guy like Fan at Tackle, who's very athletic. They're going to want to do a lot of zone stuff. He fits in with what they want to do there. Um, they they've uh, they brought in, uh, what is it, McGovern from uh, – from uh, Denver, who's a really, really good, solid center. Um, so they've they've done a nice job of, of getting placeholders in place where they can line up and play the game. Now, they're still going to address the offensive line in the draft. Um, Alex Lewis was another one they brought in. They brought back who started and played pretty well for them last year. But right now it's just getting bodies in there, you know, getting bodies, guys that have started games in the NFL, guys that can be functional, and then continue to try and upgrade that. There's there's a needed receiver with with Robbie Anderson situation not resolved right now, Buck. But in this draft, to me, I, I'm almost an advocate of saying let's just wait until you get it to the third fourth round. You'll be able to find upgrades over the Jets receivers in those rounds in this draft. Oh, absolutely. Um, if if I had to look at the Jets receiver core right now, it's only one guy that I would say I would um, kind of pin as a guy that I have to have, and that would be Jamison Crowder, because I think Jamison Crowder is an established slot receiver who can really uh, move the chains. I think outside of that, it's wide open. Um, I would be in the draft looking for uh, players and playmakers that could come in and make plays on the second or third round. I think there are a ton of available wide receivers that would kind of be there um, in that range. And I also think um, if I'm Joe D., I think if I'm Joe D, I haven't had any contact with Robbie Anderson. I think in a couple of days, I think I may uh, send a little text to see if his price tag has come down significantly from what he thought it was going to be. I mean, you know, like maybe I'll just kind of circle back and be like, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> you know, because I don't think Robbie Anderson found uh, free agency to be what he thought it was going to be. I agree with you. I think the whole wide receiver market uh, was a shock. After Amari Cooper got his money, uh, wasn't much left around. Everybody else has said, we're just going to wait and, and we're going to go all in on the draft. That's why you see so many of these players really kind of stuck to take one-year deals like a guy like Nelson Aguilar did uh, with the price tag really coming down. Um, all right, Buck, let's just do a couple more questions here. I'm going to s- skip down. Um, is Jerry Judy a similar player to Amari Cooper? If so, why would John Gruden want him? Good question. Uh, this is a very good question, and I think they are very, very similar. And I think it goes all the way back to Jerry Judy will tell you that he looked up to Amari Cooper uh, coming from South Florida, being able to watch him in high school, uh, kind of followed him to Alabama. Both guys are uh, outstanding route runners and playmakers. Um, I think the thing that is a, a little different, because Judy is quiet, but I think Judy – may have a little more of that competitive spirit when it comes to the one-on-one challenges at the line of scrimmage. Um, I think Amari Cooper um, can kind of disappear with guys who are relentless in terms of their mindset to play him at the line of scrimmage. He has struggled as a number one when number one corners have got up in his face and really made it very, very difficult for him. That's why it'd be interesting to see what Darius Slade does to Cooper, uh, Darius Slade being in Philly, going against Amari Cooper. I think Jerry Judah has a little more umph to him than that, but I think they're similar. I think the reason why John Gruden would uh, appreciate a Jerry Judy, man, he's a polished player. 
There's not a lot of finish that you have to put on him. He kind of comes as a plug-and-play player with positional flexibility and versatility, meaning he can play outside, he can play in the slot. He's a high IQ player, and as they're continuing to build their team and change the culture, he fits into what they want to do. Yeah, no, I think you explained that quite well, Buck. Um, Let's do one more question here before we wrap this thing up. What do you got? All right, I don't want to answer the Packers question because I feel like this came from Nabil. So I'm going to go down (laughs) to the bottom, and I'm going to say, how did you get into the scouting world? How would you recommend someone to start? This guy says, I'm super interested in learning how to scout players but don't know where to start. So just give a little advice, DJ. Sure. Um, first of all, we all there's a lot of different ways and stories of how you got into the NFL, uh, into the scouting world. A lot of times it's really by kind of who you've met and who you get to know. And that's why, you know, my situation, I was working in uh, for ESPN right out of college, working on Sunday night football and at a Sunday night uh, football game against the Ravens. It was the Ravens. I don't remember who they were playing, but I ran into somebody in the personnel department, a guy named TJ McCrate for the, for the Baltimore Ravens, who was my brother's college roommate. Uh, they played football together at Liberty University. So I got to talking with him and they were going to have an opening. And so he asked if I'd be interested. So it was really just kind of a random happenstance thing. But I always advise guys, you know, the college program is is really kind of the feeder program for NFL scouts so if you can get a job in recruiting and that's like Nabil our producers doing at USC um, getting a job where you're evaluating the high school players helping out the recruiting operation uh, at these colleges and then uh, you start to get to know some of the NFL scouts as they're coming through um, getting to develop those relationships and I always encourage people to do two things Number one is send, get the email address, which will take a little bit of effort, but you can find them. The email addresses uh, for the director of college scouting for all 32 teams. Send them emails with your resume as well as your. make sure you point out your willingness to volunteer at training camp, at the combine, at wherever. You will get yourself there. You will lodge yourself, and you will give them something for free and show them that you are interested and passionate about this profession. The number, the number two thing I tell people is, You've got to get practice watching and writing players. And we talked about this the other day on Twitter, Buck. Uh, NFL Game Pass is free right now. So you can go on uh, NFL.com, find NFL Game Pass. You can watch the all 22 footage of the NFL game and print out, just print out the stats, print out who are the top 10 guys in sacks, who are the top 10 guys in receptions, top 10 guys uh, in touchdowns at tight ends, whatever, and sort them that way. Watch those 10 players write your report very simple what does he do well strengths what does he need to improve on weaknesses and then your overall summary and that's a great way to practice watching players evaluating players and i would encourage people to go to uh, to our our series that we did on evaluating which was the the uh, uh what did we call the prototype series it's like nfl.com slash mts prototype and you can find uh, we've had conversations with people uh, that really are, are masters at each position. And we discuss how you evaluate and how you scout each and every position. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. I love your story um, about how you and TJ hooked up, uh, got together, and that led to your opportunity. My opportunity was similar um, in terms of I was kind of bouncing around. I was playing with the Green Bay Packers. And the guy who picked me up from the airport, it was uh, – John Snyder, who is now the general manager for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, Snyder and I had a solid relationship then to the point where when he was the pro director in Kansas City as a player, he brought me in there and I played. Well, at the end of my career, I was actually um, 
Mike McCartney, who is now a prominent agent uh, that I shout out all the time. Mike McCartney was a pro director in Philadelphia. I had called him about a scouting opportunity. He was like, hey, we, um, he and Tom Modrak, they were going to bring me in for an interview. I called John Snyder to get background on how to prepare for an interview, and he had told me, hold up, I may have an opportunity in Seattle. If I get the gig in Seattle, I'll bring you in to interview. He gets the gig, I go and I interview. Um, he offers me the job, and I am there working uh, in Seattle uh, for Ted Thompson, John Snyder, Scott McLuhan is in the room um, now, and, and so that's how it started. And I think my interest in personnel um, just kind of arose from always being fascinated with how teams are built, how championship teams are built, and looking at talented players and how do you put the pieces of the puzzle together. And so I just always had an interest. And then when it comes to really learning how to scout, I think it's finding mentors. Um, I never had the opportunity to work in Baltimore like you did. However, Art Perkins, uh, Shaq Harris, uh, Ozzie Newsome, they were always really, really open with their time in terms of giving me advice and how things matched up. And so one of the joys of going to the combine for me was sitting high up, um, and we called it the barbershop. It was those guys and Charles Bailey and a bunch of old scouts. And they're just talking, and I'm just listening and soaking it up. And so if you can find a handful of guys that are willing to kind of share, because I think this is a business where you do share. You share what you learn. You share what you know. We share stories on the podcast. But those stories really resonate, and they have a tendency to help you when you're making these hard decisions. And so I would encourage anybody, get an internship, do whatever it takes. No doubt. Um, you know, Buck, as we as we wrap up today, um, you've talked about finding mentors and uh, – Really kind of a, a sad story today, but, uh, you know, uh, Coach Ron Marcinak, we called him Coach Ron with the Baltimore Ravens, was an old veteran scout. He'd been in the NFL for, gosh, probably 40 years. Was with Gil Brandt with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, was instrumental in kind of building a lot of those championship teams, and then was with the Baltimore Ravens for a long time. And uh, if you've heard, if you listen to the podcast for a long time, you'll hear me talk about, well, an old scout told me this or an old scout told me that, these little little lessons. Um, you know, little things like it's in a draft room, you're almost better to be strong and wrong than to be weak and right. You know, you got to have you know, conviction in, in your opinions and be strong about it. I've told stories about Coach Ron where, uh, you know, when Philip Rivers was coming out, and I didn't have to evaluate him, but we had a bunch of low grades in the room. Coach Ron said, this guy reminds me a lot of, of uh, Johnny Unitas. Um, you know, Coach Ron, there's an article you can find where Gil Brandt talks about how they had a scout literally stand on the table for Jerry Rice when he came out. That was Coach Ron Marsnack. Well, um, just found out this morning that Coach Ron has passed away. And I've got um, a bunch of text messages. While we're recording this podcast, I've got, um, you know, Phil Savage, uh, Eric DaCosta, you know, TJ McCrate, who I've mentioned, um, Joe Ortiz, um, Jeremiah Washburn, all these guys who are around the league are, have done some really cool things. And, um, Coach Ron was kind of a mentor to all of us. So, uh, anyways, that, he had a full life, um, and he uh, he accomplished some amazing things on the on the scouting front, but also was an unbelievable husband and and father and somebody that uh, that I just really really had a, a fond a fondness for. So, uh, there's a lot of people around the NFL. There's a lot going on in the world right now, but a lot of us uh, are missing Coach Ron right now. That's for sure. 
Yeah, well, that's, um, you know, sorry for the loss. Sorry for losing a guy who is really a legend in scouting circles. I've expressed to you my affinity for what you guys were able to do in Baltimore, the consistency uh, that I saw come from that. And so I know Ron was a big part of that. I've heard you share those stories. And so I think it is um, uh, It's sad that we lose somebody. But the good thing is I know that his legacy will live on through you and through the your peers that were with the Ravens at that time because we always will be able to reflect and share those little nuggets that he was able to share with you. We'll be able to share those on this show, and they will be able to share those in scouting circles going forward. Yeah, me and my wife were talking about him uh, just a little while ago, and uh, <laughs> we, I said, do you remember Coach Ron? you remember Ron Marcinak with the Ravens? Oh, yeah. I said, he used to all we, – we go to scouting dinners, and my wife and I don't drink. He could not figure out, I don't, I don't, why don't you drink? What Are you kidding me? You don't drink? Like, he could not – he couldn't get over the fact that, that we, did, we did not drink. Uh, so we, we always had, we had a good laugh about that. But uh, anyways, Coach Ron was a, a special guy. We're going to miss him. Um, but anyways, I hope you guys have enjoyed the, the show today. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, again, if you have any questions, hit us up, uh, Apple Podcasts. Drop us a question in the review section there. Uh, find Move the Sticks on there. All of our video content, uh, youtube.com slash NFL podcast. You can also find us um, on uh, nfl.com slash MTS video as well. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be safe out there. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.